He didn't just go and get sentenced, sent down the road and go, okay, lay back on this piece of wood. Uh, this is not going to feel good. Nailed up, sent up. And no, he was persecuted. He was beat. He was, he was spit on. Um, the night before he even went before, he was all the torment he was going through. Again, go back and think of Peter. He's watching the man he had just followed for three years. Sat and ate with, ate with the night before. The man who just washed his feet and he denied him. And he's watching him being beat. I'll tell you, Peter is a pretty strong man. Because I can tell you, that third time and when I, if I would have heard that rooster crow, I don't condone suicide or anything, but I think I would have been so scared I would have jumped off a cliff. I mean, I would have I would have beat Judas to the punch, I can tell you. Because to know that I would have denied him like that, that's scary. But then we see what greater things was in store for him. So but again, our Lord was persecuted. He was beat beyond measure. He was I mean the things that were done to him, honestly. He should have never made it to the cross. He should have never even made it to that hill called Golgotha. He should have never made it halfway down the Via Della Rosa. He was beat so bad. In Matthew 27, 28, and 29, not just the beatings, but you know what? They can shame, people can, you can get shamed as being a Christian also. You can be made fun of. And he does. And stripping him, they put a scarlet robe around him. And planting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. What are you, some kind of Christian? And our feelings get so hurt, we just... Lord, we need to just get, as I like to say, righteously indignant. Put a big smile on your face go, yes, I am. Six and stone. Mm. I don't know how much sticking your tongue out is Christian-like, but still. There's going to come a time where you're persecuted pretty heavily, and it's going to, it's it's pretty heavy here in the United States. I'm going to say you can get made fun of. We're in the South. We're still in what's called the Bible Belt. It's not as bad, but take yourself out to California. I hate to just mention states. Take yourself west. Take yourself northwest. And there's persecution of this type going on. You're made fun of. Um, I've read stories of people having stuff thrown on them when they get trying to go into church. They don't, they don't matter. But these people, the whole thing is you just look at them and say, Jesus loves you and so do I. Grit your teeth, smile at them, and keep going. They're going to, there's going to be a time of even greater persecution, like I've said. But we have to understand, Jesus went through it before we ever would. Jesus went through it before we ever would. 
in John 19, 16 through 18. I'll give you a second. John 19, 16 through 18. It says, Then he delivered him up to them that he might be crucified. And they took, took Jesus and led him away. And bearing his cross, he went out to a place called the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. His ultimate persecution was his execution. Placed between two thieves. We know the depiction it looks like with him in the middle. He's always higher. It's like here. They're not trying to show off. Do you understand the whole reason behind the behind crucifixion and where they did it was to basically make a show of it? One, it was... It was uh, prevention. Hey, you're going to mess around. This is what's going to happen to you. And two, it was a spectacle for him. And Jesus was placed right in the middle. He was placed right in the middle. He was placed on that cross with three nails. I'm not getting into the torment of the cross and what everything that happens over the time, but he was persecuted for us. He was executed for us. That's why we have to stand. Now, I'm not saying, oh, but we need to be prepared. Would you stand and not deny your Lord? Would you stand and allow? There's a thing that they do around uh, Halloween every year over in LaGrange, Georgia. It's kind of an end time scenario thing. And one point of it is they, they do a very good job because they actually have airplane, they have a bus, they have cars, they have stuff that crashes, they got flames all this out in the woods. I can't remember the name, but it is cool. I mean, it's cool. It's supposed to be the end time. And it takes you through revelations, basically. But there's a time where the persecution, and there's, there's this, this last time I ever went with my old churches, they had like this girl, and the, this guy and girl, boyfriend, girlfriend. And the guy got up and was like, no, I, I'm, no, I'm part of the New World Order. I'm, I, can, I deny, and the girl says no, and they shoot her. Right there and there. No, no it was. It was a real um, AR, and they didn't have it toward her head, but it was a real, what they cap, and everybody jumps. <laughs> but imagine that time if that time ever comes. I know this is not the, oh, this is not, oh, I'm sorry. You have to know. You have to stand and be prepared just like Jesus was prepared to die for you. Are you prepared to die for him? He loved you so much, and so did his father, to go to a cross and suffer a persecution greater than anything we will probably ever even think about suffering. Are you prepared to do that also for him? It's a question every one of us needs to ask. I can tell you I am. 
I am. Because I know where I'm going to end up on the other side. It's just going to take a moment. But I'm going to stand. Because you want to know what? Your testimony of you standing. How many people through history of being Christians have been martyrs and their mar- them being martyrs and people knowing their story and their lives and how they led it for Christ has led others to Christ. If my death will lead others to Christ, I ain't saying I want someone to walk in the door right now, and, but I'm saying I will stand for my Jesus and let my testimony speak and let people see. Amen? Amen. But he was persecuted for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who left heaven and came down to this earth. He was persecuted. The one who was a tiny little babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, gooing and gone in a feed trough. He died and was persecuted for each and every one of us. Now that last word, I've talked about him persecuting him, being persecuted. But let me tell you, Jesus died. And I want to talk about the dead Jesus. You've got to realize we've got to put two things together. My next topic, we're going to see where it's all tied together. But Jesus dying showed his humanity. His flesh, his heart stopping beating. When they stabbed him, when nothing but water, blood and water, when it became water, that was nothing but body fluid. That means he couldn't bleed no more. Because you got to imagine everything that had happened to him. So that was all that, I got a paramedic right over there, right? He's gone. He's bled out. That's the human part. He died. Because we all, he was God incarnate that took on flesh. And if he was to be the sacrifice, a sacrifice has to die. And that side, that part of him died. Jesus died. He was dead. Dead. To where they had to take him off the cross. They had to wrap him. They had to put him in a tomb. He was dead. And why? For us. He suffered death just like each and every one of us unless the rapture comes. He suffered everything. He suffered persecution. He suffered torment. He suffered everything that we face in life, including death for us. Matthew 27 50. And crying again with a loud voice, Jesus released his spirit. Jesus said, okay, it's done. You know, famous words, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Those words finished means more than him being dead. It means everything is now fulfilled. And guess what? The reason those demons were yelling and scared of me They knew what was fixing to happen because I just finished it. We look at his death and we we go, oh, but we look, it was victory. 
Death came in victory. I mean, victory came in death. His death was victory. It's kind of backwards, ain't it? That would have been like saying in World War II at the Battle of the Bulge, or uh, not the Battle of the Bulge, uh, I'm getting my history messed up, down in Africa against Rommel, if Patton would have been out there in his Jeep running around with his uh, uh, 45s on each side and Rommel would have put a uh, bullet through his head and we said, oh, Patton won. No, he would have lost and no telling where we would have been with Germany, but victory came in the death of our Savior. You know, a lot of times we get, things happen and God does things and once we see it happen and in the end we figured out, oh, if we would have thought of it at first, we'd have been, that don't make no sense. But God always makes it perfect. That's perfect in his death. In Mark 15, 37, Jesus cried out in a loud voice and gave up the ghost. This is Matthew and Mark's um, uh, seeing this. In Mark 15, 44 and 45, it says, And Pilate wondered if he was already dead and calling the centurion. Hey, there's our buddy the centurion again. He asked him whether he had died already. And when he knew it from the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. Joseph, uh, not Daddy Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who the borrowed tomb. It's, I like that. They call that the borrowed tomb. When you borrow something, unless you're a bad neighbor, don't it mean you're going to return it? That's the whole thing. It's a borrowed tomb. I only borrowed it for three days. You know, pastor, I need to borrow a hedge clipper. Now, after about three months, he'd be like, Rick, uh, you got my hedge clipper? It's the fall. I need to be doing my hedges. No, if I borrow it, I'll borrow it, and he'd bring it to me like today, and then Sunday morning, I'd bring his hedge clipper back because I borrowed it. Jesus in a borrowed tomb because they knew he didn't need to be there the whole time. Amen? Next, Luke 23 and 46. Let's see what the doctor has to say. As you all know, Luke was a physician. That's the cool thing. If you really look at all of them, all the Gospels, each and every one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's, three, it's four different perspectives. One gets into the numbers, one is finite, and one's directly to the point, and one of them's just a cool cat that was 18 years old hanging with Jesus. Huh? Yep. But Luke 23 and 46, and it says, And crying with a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed out the spirit. Notice how Luke, you just, you, he breathed it out. It was over. Jesus said, he's a physician. He's going to, he breathed out. It was over with. That was his last breath. Now let's look and see what John had to say. John, again, 18-year-old kid. Well, he was 18 when he started running with Jesus. He's about 21 now. He's the one that just got looked at by Jesus and said, uh, son, look at your mama. Mama, this is your son. So entrusted. And let's see what he has to say. It says, and then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first 
of the others who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a lance and instantly came out blood and water. They knew he was dead. I like how John describes, you know, look, they, everyone's legs were broke. But my Jesus was already dead. And just to make sure, they stabbed him in the side. Jesus was dead. He died. You can't change that story. It happened. But he's the son of God. He's God incarnate. He died. His spirit left his body. How many times did I just read that? His spirit left his body. His heart, he died. This was the flesh side of Emmanuel, God with us. This was the flesh. This is how it said he had to die for us. He had to be the perfect sacrifice. Thank you. I forgot the word. <laughs> but he died for us. But we know, and this is a shouting part, and pastor, don't start running. My next subject is, he's the risen. See, we have the Son of God in flesh, but we have the Son of God who is the King of Kings that is godly, who is, uh, the, third, is the second part of the three parts of the Trinity. He is God the Son. And he is risen in Matthew 28, 5 and 6. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Angels declared it. They were coming to do the spices and all that because really they got him I'm just going to go over it real quick when Jesus died sun was going down they had to get him in the ground they wrapped him and got him in the ground they did not complete the burial process they didn't do the spices they didn't do everything they needed and that's what they were going to do that day and at daybreak when they were allowed to go they were coming in and there it was Angels sitting there going, what are, you, what are you doing here? Who are you looking for? Don't you remember what he told me? How many times? Now, put it this way. If Mary, who looked him dead in the eye, could forget that he said, I'm coming back, don't beat yourself up when you forget a promise that he's made to you. Because I'll tell you, he'll remind you. So many times we'll be like, what kind of Christian am I? I doubted, or I had a... Did your doubt go away? Did your fear go away? Did you understand who Christ is still in your life? A little while ago, like I said, I was quite upset when I walked in this building. Pastor even prayed with me. He heard me out, heard me 
basically whining about my not being a good dad with my daughter and me not even saying one time, God's got this, though. Did I do it, Pastor? Did I say one time, but God's got this. I'm sorry, I'm not super Christian. You can't. I've ripped this shirt open. There's not an S right here. I used to tell when I pastored, I said, I'm not super pastor. When I rip my shirt open, my T-shirt does not have a P, giant P on my chest. There's times where I get upset because my daughter's sick or my wife is sick and I can't do nothing. I work in an industry where I'm a technician. I repair stuff. It is in my being that I am supposed to fix it. I get upset when I can't fix stuff. I can't fix my daughter. I can't fix my wife. But God has to have this. And guess what? If I have a little bit of doubt every once in a while, I need to remember Mary who looked him square in the eye, who sat there and washed his feet with her hair and spilled. If she could doubt and she still think he's dead after three days, I can have a little doubt, but I can also go, my Jesus is good. Amen. Mark 16, 9 and 10. We're still in the risen Lord. And it says, And when Jesus had risen early the first day of the Sabbath, he appeared first to Mary, out of whom he had cast demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Okay. I said something earlier that I'm totally wrong about. Well, I wasn't. I talked about um, Peter being the first one to preach the risen Lord. He was the first one to preach the risen Lord filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay, guys. Get this. Who was the, unfortunately, a woman preached the risen Lord first. She declared the risen Lord. She was told, she said, he's risen. And then all of a sudden, there's the gardener who shows up. Out of, Why are you crying, Mary? Uh. So she goes and runs. It's like that first day of being a Christian, and you got to tell everybody, I got saved. But can you imagine being the first one? Ladies, congratulations. It was a harlot, one that had demons. Oh, you can't be one. You can't be a, you can't teach Sunday school and you used to do that. You can't, no, you used to do that. You can't be on the elder board. You can't, you can't be a greeter. People know you as the drunk here in town. What better way to get people to go, wow, look what's happened to him. And then here comes the harlot, the one that had the demons, and she comes running and goes, Jesus is alive. Can you imagine being able to say those words? All of a sudden, you saw him dead, and you go, he's alive. It was her. That's kind of exciting. I mean, I think I would have been jumping for joy. I would have been all over the place. We know the story about what happens after that. Luke 24, 2 and 7. It says, And they found the stone rolled away, and going in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they were much perplexed. It happened 
that behold two men stood there shining garments and they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth why are you here seeking the living among the dead he is not here but risen remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again they didn't read it out of their Bible. They didn't have a preacher tell them the story of Jesus. Jesus looked at them and said, Guess what? I'm fixing to be hung up, strung up. I'm going to be dead. They're going to put me in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, I'm going to, you're going to see me rose and standing and walking again. They looked in his eyes. The words were coming from his mouth. And we get so down on ourselves when we have a little bit of doubt. They got preached to by the ultimate preacher, the man who was going to live it out himself. He told them what was going to happen, and we get upset because we have a little doubt. They doubted. We talk about doubting Thomas. No, all of them doubted. They weren't sitting there. You don't read one place in this Bible where they said they were sitting on the hillside looking down at the tomb, counting the time down, going, three, two, yeah, he's alive. No. Every one of them was back morning crying, whimpering in a corner somewhere, and coming to rewrap re him and put him, the spices all over his body. Then they hear the story directly from who? The crazy woman who had demons and was a harlot and everything else who decided to take her life's, uh, 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 everything of her and break the um, oil on his feet and wipe it up with his, her hair. Let me give you a little story about an, uh, a Jewish woman's hair. We talk about that oil being so, oh, that was a whole year's worth of, no. Do you know what the most precious thing to a Jewish woman was? her hair this is the woman who let her hair down and imagine oil and then imagine here in Alabama dirt road food red dirt road food this woman took her the oil wasn't her greatest possession the oil was her hair I mean, the possession was her hair. The greatest possession. That was her, her whole self. That was what she took more pride in, and she let it down and wiped the oily, muddy feet. This woman, they knew who she was. They knew how she loved Jesus. She declares, and they still doubt her, even though they had heard Jesus tell the story, or didn't tell the story, predict and tell them what's going to be happening in a few days, and they go in there, and they're astonished because there's two angels there. And we get upset with ourselves when we have a little doubt. Well, if you got doubt in your heart, you, you may need to check yourself. You may not be a Christian. Unfortunately, we still got Pharisees and Sadducees around today. What you need to do is do what my pastor did. When I, I didn't say I doubted God, but he could tell I was in a struggle and I wasn't instantly just jumping for glory because my daughter's got COVID. And he came over here, wrapped his arms around me and paid for me and reminded me who I was in him. Not pastor, but in Christ. 
Guess what? It don't take the pastor to do that. It takes each and every one of us to do that for each and every one of us. Amen? So if you see somebody with a little doubt and they're struggling, put your arm around them and pray for them. You want to know how good our pastor is? I always thought I was pretty good when I pastored church, and I always told people I would just drop and pray for people. Don't tell me something in Walmart because I would pray right up amongst the produce. There's twice I've texted that man. And he doesn't text me back. How dare he? He sends me a voice message of him praying. I text him and say, Pastor, will you please pray? I've twice had him do that. That's a man that's following what's supposed to be going on. You better count yourself lucky. You got a man of God like that, and I do. He's my pastor, and I thank God for him and his family every day because he could have just said, real quick, I am sorry to hear that, Brother Rick. I'll be praying. No. He said, I don't know if he was busy or whatever, but there it was, and then I share it with my daughter who he's praying for. Guess what? We'll get a little bit of doubt. Boom. He, God can work through a voice text. But he prayed. That's what we need to do for each other because that's what ended up happening. Instead of each other getting reminded, the angels had to remind them. We need to remind each other who they are in Christ. Amen? Luke 20, 14 and 16. And when she had said this, she turned backward and saw Jesus standing. And she said, do you not know that this was Jesus? Jesus said to her, woman, why do you weep? Whom do you seek? I kind of had this out of order. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away from here, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned herself and said to him, Rabbanai, which means master or teacher. Yeah, but the whole thing, she was looking at him. She was looking right into it. So many times we look into our miracles or the things God has given us and we just don't see God there until we hear his voice. Notice as soon as she... Only thing he had to, when he said her name, he had done spoke to her. Who are you looking for? What you doing? And she's thinking it's the gardener. And as soon as she heard Mary, just heard her name. So many times, if we would just listen to that small, still voice, he's calling your name. He's calling your name. Amen. But he's risen. But after he rose, and this is going to be our last for tonight, because this will lead us into next week, which is the one who is to come. And that's Jesus the Ascended. It took 40 days. He walked around. He still taught. But he had to go home. This time he didn't just go, when he died and passed, you know, he didn't just go in spirit. And guess what? It's time. The whole body's going this time. 
the whole man, the whole God, the whole Jesus ascends into heaven. You know, we die, our, we go in the ground, our spirit goes up. But with him, he is ascended. In John 20 and 17, it says, Jesus said to her, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and to my God and your God. He's telling of his ascension and that he will be ascending soon. He was telling that it's time for you to let them know I've risen and I will be ascending soon. Don't touch me. I'm not prepared. Your wife is going to touch you in a second, brother. <laughs> in Acts 1, 7 and 9, it says, And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the season. This is where they've asked when he will return. It says, Which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power. The Holy Spirit come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And saying these things, they watched. And he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. But you shall receive power. Understand that Jesus had to go. We've talked about this before. Jesus had to go. Because if we were to receive his spirit, the gift that he spoke about before his death, and now he's speaking after his resurrection, right before his ascension. And guess what? He goes a little deeper. He says, you are about to receive power. Deutimus power. Deutimus. Dynamite. Same root word in the Greek. Dynamite. I'm not talking J.J. Evans either. I'm talking about power. The same power that Jesus wrote rose the dead, that he healed the lame. That same power we have through the Holy Spirit in us. That same power. That same power as Pastor had spoke and been speaking, talking about how Paul would go by in his shadow. It wasn't Paul's shadow that did squat. It wasn't Paul. It was nothing Paul did. It was the power of the Holy Ghost that was so working in him that its presence just started healing everybody. And, they, you know, they talk even the story about where they were cutting up their garments and cutting up, you know, that's where we get prayer cloths from. It wasn't nothing to do with their robes. It wasn't nothing. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that was on them. There is nothing about a prayer cloth and some extra virgin olive oil that's ever going to heal any of us. But the power of God when you pray over it and the Spirit of God get over it. And guess what? The Spirit of God, we, we have prayer cloths, and I, I believe in you know, but you know what? We can get right here and get together in a circle with whether two or more gathered in my name, and the Holy Ghost can move, and we can affect somebody thousands of miles away because the Holy Spirit can reach out right there without a prayer cloth. He don't need to ride a magic carpet prayer cloth. Uh, that was it. He don't. He, he don't. 
The oil represents the spirit. The prayer cloth represents the stories of where they used to do that. But it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And when we pray, they can be 100 miles away or they can be in the next room or they can be in our presence. But the power of the Holy Ghost, not me nor you, but the power of the Holy Ghost that works in each and every one of us is the healing that will come about. Amen? And we need to start operating that way. You have the same, we have taken the power that God has given us over the years in the age of the church and put it in a box to the point some people have taped it shut and dared the Christian world to open it. And unfortunately, guess what? That power's not in a box. That power still, if you call on Christ as your Lord and Savior, lives in you. But we oppress him. We press him down. I don't, uh, I don't know about that. That died away. No, no, no. Mm-mm. The Holy Spirit ain't died nowhere. Paul died. Peter died. All of them died. All the apostles died. But guess what? The Spirit of God's still working today. He didn't say it would just be of an age. No. Each and every one of us can operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And not just in healing people, but also in prophecy, in, in knowledge, in all the giftings. But we like to deny it. And Jesus said right there, I'm leaving, I'm fixing to take off. Watch me. Because the Holy Spirit is to come and you're fixing to have the same power I operate in. I'm fixing to give it to you. And you know the cool thing about it? He also said, what did he say about, he's, you will do greater. Wait a minute. You're Jesus. How can I do greater? Yeah. Yeah. You are going to do greater. That means... There should be more people healed. There should be more prophecy. There should be more uh, people being raised from the dead. I think people being raised from the dead is actually for testimony and get people's attention. I think healing is God doing his work. But I think God can, not that he can still, he will do it. I don't know if Brother Bo's ever shared this story. And I'm not going to get into it, but he's got a good one. Don't tell me he can't raise the dead. Don't tell me he can't heal. Don't tell me he can't give you a word of knowledge. (coughs) That same power, we need to start walking in it. Excuse me, I got a tickle in my throat. Acts 2 and 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received the Father, received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. This was telling of everything that's going to happen. This is basically, excuse me, I ate a cracker earlier and all of a sudden a piece of it has now gotten the back of my throat. And the more I talk, the least air I had in my lungs. (laughs) But this is speaking... This is an angel. I mean, they're looking down going, look, Jesus is up here now. What are y'all doing standing around? It's time. You are going to operate in such a way. 
He is at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 12 and 2. Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where there else are you going to hear a story about a guy who was strung up being exalted to a king? But he went through all of that and now sits at the right hand. Which is where he is today. So it is about who is. In 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22, this is our last scripture tonight. It says, which figure now also saves us baptism, not a putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by resurrection of Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven where the angels and authority and powers are subject to him. He's large and in charge. I'll just put it that way. He is in charge. Earlier I forgot it. I did. I'll be honest with you. Don't worry about it. I'm very honest. Some people didn't appreciate it when I used to be in a pulpit and I would be honest. But I'm honest. But he's in charge. And he's sitting there today just waiting for dad to go, okay, it's time. It's time. He's waiting. He's overseeing everything in the kingdom. He's looking down and through the Holy Spirit working in each and every one of our lives. At the right hand, exalted and lifted up on, on his throne. But he's waiting. He's waiting. Well, you hear the expression, waiting on go. And that's what we're talking about next week. Jesus is waiting to come claim his bride. Now, are you going to be found ready? Jesus is waiting to come get his bride. I can remember when me and Sister Vanessa were married. We had a time that our wedding was going to start. And our wedding started exactly when it was supposed to, and I knew when it was. And I knew when I had to go up front and stand with the pastor and my, my best man was going to be by my side. And I knew what time it was. And we know that a time is coming when our groom is going to be coming to get us. We know the wedding is coming. We just need to be prepared for it. But unlike my earthly wedding, I don't know the day nor the hour. I just know it's coming. I know when things are going to be starting to get prepared 
I don't see them decorating the hall, let's just say, putting the flowers out. I want to know when that fig vine is about to put figs out. And we all have to be looking for that. Because he's sitting there waiting to come claim us. And it's going to happen someday, sooner or later. I'm not getting into eschatology. I'm not going to start predicting. I'm not, no, I'm not Perry Stone. I like Perry Stone, but I'm not Perry Stone. But, no, it's going to happen. Amen? So next week, we're going to talk about the one who is to come. And that's exciting, too, in itself. Amen? Amen. Any questions? Any comments? Anybody excited? Anybody got to go to the bathroom? All y'all out there in Facebook land, have a good